Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show and a happy Friday to you. I'm Sean Trotar. Sandy Clough is on my left. The T-Swizzle Day, I guess, in Denver. Is that the best way of putting it? I got Taylor Swift concerts tonight uh, and tomorrow. The uh, Broncos have asked to, to not go down to the uh, parking lot and tailgate. I guess there's probably a Taylor Swift pun in there, too, if you wanted to make it. Uh, trying to keep those crowds to a minimum. The Rockies get the Yankees uh, this weekend as well in a weekend series and uh, a much less consequential thing than the Taylor Swift concert by virtually any measure. But uh, it's going to be an exciting weekend in Denver. Happy you're joining uh, us for today, especially when you look at the Denver Broncos, whose training camp now not that far off. In fact, the regular season opener, Sandy, uh, Von Miller days away, 58 days away till the right. NFL season opener. So uh, this is going to come on as quicker than uh, maybe people expect. Eight weeks and two days, uh, eight weeks from Sunday, the Broncos play their opener. And it's less than eight weeks until the National Football League opener, which, of course, is on a Thursday night, which I believe would be the 7th of September. And the CU season opens. At TCU, as we mentioned what yesterday, on September zero. 2nd. Right. Their home opener with Nebraska is no, uh, September 9th, the following week. So uh, early September will be very busy. And consequential football. And, and for the Denver Broncos. And big football games. Obviously, Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and their relationship and how much this team can be improved is really front and center. We've talked about. Over the course of the week, the best players on the team, Pat Sertan and Justin Simmons, rate them in whatever order you'd like, but it's definitely those two by a country mile. And then, really, so much of this rides on the Broncos' highest paid player, and that's Wilson. Interesting piece in Sports Illustrated today where they were really looking at, the the argument about it was really looking at how effective and how sustainable teams led by Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and Joe Burrow of the Bengals are and how their championship windows are wide open. Bengals have been in the last two AFC championships. Chiefs, of course, the defending champs. Uh, those two guys are set to duel for a lot of their career. But as a result, they also took a look at 11 teams that they thought the windows for contention were closing. And it was somewhat interesting. And I'll give you the list in, in, in order. 49ers, number one. And the 49ers are number one um, when you talk about the win now because of the two first-round picks they've traded away to get Trey Lance and then the pick to get Christian McCaffrey. Uh, if they don't end up having the quarterback and some of these salaries blow up, I, I can see the argument. Because a lot of the argument they're making is salary-driven, right? Which makes perfect sense. So I, I know you would disagree, but they have the I, Niners I, I number one. I do disagree because the 49ers, other than the cornerback position, have all pro candidates at every other position. George Kittle, there. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel. How about Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey at running back? Right. If the quarterback situation is good enough, they're certainly Super Bowl contenders. You could argue how open the, the window is. The number two one I don't disagree with at all, and that's the Jets. Because when you bring Aaron Rodgers <laughs> yeah. in, uh, the window is is already closing, given the age, and you've given up a lot to, to get him. So the Jets' championship window closed, starting to close soon is open. I get the argument. The Eagles are on that list in part because many of the Eagles' uh, veterans uh, are in line for massive contract extensions, and it may be very hard to keep a lot of those guys together. And plus, you also have some players that are uh, on the older side, uh, you know, Jason Kelsey and and a couple other players as well. 
are going to find themselves. So it's a combination of age and salary that will be uh, difficult. But the Eagles are on that list. Number four, I firmly agree with, and I'd actually have them be number one, is the Buffalo Bills, who I feel are teetering on the edge of right. having that completely pass them by. Well, if Vaughn comes back strong this year from his injury, which wiped out the final portion of his 22 season, I think they've got a shot, but be mindful of the fact that Vaughn, who at 34 is a much better player still, assuming he's recovered from the injury, than I ever thought he'd be at 34. I wasn't sure he'd be playing football at age 34. I thought when he was here, right before he got traded, the idea was he might play another year, maybe two on I thought the outside. so too, especially in any one or another ring. And, and this is year three. Right, I thought right. I thought he might have retired after the win with the Rams. I thought he Could might have, have just called a Super like Bowl then. with two different teams. Next was a stop major is factor, major factor for the Rams. Right. Obviously, for the Broncos, he was the Super Bowl MVP and Super Bowl Fifty, the last playoff game in which the Broncos participated. By the way, but I agree with with Buffalo just because Vaughn at thirty four is either year proposition, and there is always the chance that injuries will become more a part of his There's also a chance biography as the years go Injuries on. become a part of Josh Allen's because anytime you're you're playing with the style that, that he plays, uh, playing the physical game, playing the running game with a quarterback, uh, he's a big quarterback. He's not that big compared to linebackers. He's not that big compared to linemen. There's a risk there. And there, the, the friction between whatever is going on with the organization and Stephon Diggs can't be completely brushed under the table. I think the Bills are teetering. Number five, uh, and, and an interesting spin on it, is the Chargers, and not necessarily because of Justin Herbert, who everyone quite likes, but you're talking about you know trading for Khalil Mack. Some of the, the salaries are going up. We, we know that uh, Austin Eckler might not be with the team. You're talking about guys that are they're going to start making a lot of money. And Herbert, by the way, is going to have to also sign a monumental extension. So they argue that the Chargers are fifth. The Dolphins are sixth. I, I'm a little torn on that, but, you know, the Dolphins – are basically took the, if not quite what the Rams did, but they've taken that shortcut of we're going to go trade for a lot of players, including the same guy, Jalen Ramsey, who is now on the Dolphins, and uh, we will find out we're there. But the Dolphins were listed as one of the teams as clothing. The Ravens on that list, I think that's fair. The Cowboys on that list, I think, quite frankly, that's fair. Number nine is the Saints. I'm not really sure that the Saints... Um, window is all that open but i do get the idea that if you added Derek carr instead of just starting a rebuild you are trying to win so I, that's some of the take as well the vikings at 10 no question about that i don't think and the last team they mentioned the denver broncos at 11 and all i think a lot of i didn't fans, know their window was ever open. yeah and that's the trick and so let me let me give you a little bit of what the Volkswagen illustrated wrote in this particular is gilberto manzano he said, uh, some may be laughing about the Broncos being considered one of the 11 teams with the Super Bowl window. But the second the trade for Russell Wilson became official, the pressure drastically increased to win now. I think that's fair. He pointed out the disastrous year one results with Wilson gave Denver buyers remorse. And to make matters worse, there's no option to rebuild because the organization handed Wilson a massive contract extension and sent multiple first-round picks to the Seahawks. The Broncos don't belong in the Super Bowl window category but they're stuck in it anyway due to their hefty Wilson <laughs> investment and hiring of head coach Sean Payton, signifying... That, that may be yeah, the line of uh, the, right, the year, uh, right the, there. Signifying that they're still in win-now mode. And that's fair, right? You you have made moves that indicate you're in win-now mode, and, and so as a result, you kind of have to play it out, right? 
Uh, you know, didn't we use these two words yesterday at the tail end of the show in connection with the University of Colorado? This is a total rebuild, yes. right? We were talking about that in the context of our friends up in Boulder. It is the same thing with the Broncos, and I think the bargain, however implicit between Sean Payton and ownership here, is that he will do all he can to fix Russell Wilson. That's sure. my term, probably not his. Certainly not Wilson. But for the sake of this conversation, it'll work. I will give Russell Wilson every opportunity, but if it's not working and we're making no progress, I reserve the right to enter into a total rebuild with Jarrett Stidham at quarterback for the second half of the season. I think that's the implicit bargain. I will try to get Russell Wilson back to at least 2022 form. But in exchange, yeah, 2021 it, I'm sorry, 2021. <laughs> Can't get worse than 2022 no, no, form. No, you don't want that. Uh, I don't think it can get worse. That's, I that's the one thing that probably yeah, Peyton and Wilson, imagine. too, for that matter, has going for him. Get, get him back at least to 2021, if not 2024. The first half of 2020, anyway. But if it isn't working, halfway through the season, we've got two wins, three wins, then we're, we're looking at Stidham, much as the Raiders looked at Stidham when they decided to bench Carr last December. Stidham has a $7 million contract for 2024 already on the books. Well, only $1 million is guaranteed, but right. he does have a partial guarantee for next year. For next not, year. Not this year. The guarantee isn't only for this year. Now, I think the guarantee overall is $5 million. $4 million of it is this year, true enough. But he does have $1 million guaranteed but the, for but next the, year. Any amount which, on there means he's not going anywhere. Good year or not. He's going to be here next year. Uh, Wilson will be backed up by Stidham, or Stidham will be starting, and Wilson will be gone. Those are those are the two scenarios. Good good year now. Obviously, if Wilson has a good year, he'd be the starter, but Stidham would still be the backup, waiting in the wings. And if Wilson has a bad year, I'm not sure they wait until much past midseason before making a change of quarterback. They continue at Sports Illustrated and say this with Wilson and Peyton, the window is slightly open. Perhaps this new coaching regime will provide the team with some breathing room. But Peyton may want that window shut after the season so he can start a proper rebuild with his players and not the ones he I agree, but he didn't inherit Stidham. And, you know, a couple of the free agents, I I mean, I think guys like Allen, Powers, McGlinchey, they're going to be back in 2024 because they're technically his players. Yes, yes. They're his guys. Draft picks from this year. For sure, mm-hmm. we'll be back in the main. But, next but year, the everyone else, team. more or but less, everyone else, Wilson, who preceded Payton, and I'm talking about Sean Payton, right? Here, not George Payton. All those guys are at risk, and we know that because they attempted With the to trade exception Jerry Judy. of Sertan and Simmons. and Judy might be the third most explosive player on the team at that point behind those yeah. two, and they they, they tried to kick the tires in trading him. ESPN rating Broncos by position. Uh, some votes were given at running back to Javante Williams. Right. Well, so for my money, I, assuming he's healthy at some point I, this I year, I have to see him healthy. At first. some point this year, 
He's the third star. I agree. He's not traded. But I can't I can't say I believe in that until I see him healthy. And I think I think you agree well, with that. But yes, I think if if re- with a return yeah, to health, but even yes. even without that, even if he isn't absolutely 100% and I can't believe they'd be stupid enough to play him if he's not 100%. I don't think they're going to. Uh r- regardless, right. One way or the other, the the Broncos right. have but, to get but, Russell Wilson. I, I'm assuming when he plays, he'll be 100%. Or as close to it as he's ever going to get. I it, think that's fair. In my opinion, it's not going to be opening day because no doctor I've talked to, no history of ACL injuries, the exception of maybe Adrian Peterson, results in as swift a recovery as the Broncos and, are forecasting remember, for Javante Williams. When you look at the way teams talk about this, the spin, of course, back at OTAs, was you think he'll be ready for the beginning of training camp. Well, you know, He's talked about it a little bit during a camp. He thinks he'll be ready for week one. Keep in mind, and I'm just telling you this is how the sausage gets made, that leaves plenty of time for PR, coaches, players, whomever, to say, well, a little bit of a setback there. We were hoping, but, you know, now we're going to yeah. push it back. But, uh, no, we we, I, we I thought that it. at the you, time, but, you but said now. said midseason, months I, ago, when we yeah. first began doing this program. And, and now I still believe that. I, I think you still believe it. Um, I don't believe he'll be going full bore at any point during training camp, and I don't see it happening yeah. on opening day. And I do Either expect to hear, you know, well, sometime we just between opening day well, and midseason. Yeah. I, and they can couch it anyway. You'll get the you'll get the spin and they'll you'll know, indicate that well we we thought that was the case back then. Uh, you're trying to build optimism, I get it. And then but I think he's the, the third he's the third star and Judy could join him and maybe even precede him uh assuming that Judy stays healthy right. and begins the season. And you know, again that's assuming a lot because Judy's hurt all the time. In the last two years, we can certainly say that Judy is well, and Russell Wilson have plays a big part in that as well. One way or the other, though, the Broncos I, Wilson's contract at SI they suggested if Wilson got cooking that maybe in the off season they they could trade him if they wanted. I I think his contract's completely untradeable. I think at the age and and the recent drawback, he's completely untradeable. What are you going to give up for a 35-year-old quarterback coming off? Who most recently had a down year. Yeah, exactly. Unless And look, if he's lights out again, if they get him back to 2020, well, then they're going to run him back in 2024 because that's going to be your best option. And then if it doesn't work after 2024, you can cut him and you save $30 million in dead cap. Here's the deal. If Wilson's on the roster on the fifth day of the 2024 league year, then is $37 million kicks in for 2025. Mm-hmm. 25, the following year. Right. And that's guaranteed. He received $124 million guaranteed at sign. For his career, he has averaged 29.2 touchdowns, 8.7 interceptions, 65% completion percentage. yards per attempt. Sack percentage, 8.3. Passer rating, 101.8. Fine numbers. Mm -hmm. Borderline Hall of Fame numbers. Right. Last year, instead of 29 touchdown passes, there were 16. Instead of almost nine interceptions, there were 11. Completion percentage dropped 4.5 points over his career, which includes last year, by the way. (laughs) To 60 and a half percent yards per attempt down half a yard from seven, eight to seven, three sack percentage went up by almost two percentage points, eight, three to 10, two. And his passer rating fell from one on one, eight to 84, four. 
Now, if you cut them conventionally after this year, that's $85 million in dead money. Whew. If you wait till June 1st, given the post-June 1st designation, you spread the hit on the cap over two years, so it'd be like 35 in one year and 50 in the next. The, the biggest deal ever, the biggest dead money charge in history was last year with Matt Ryan when Atlanta traded him and the Falcons took a $40.5 million hit to be double that. on their books in 2022 after that. trading Ryan to Indianapolis. The cap number projection for 2024 in the NFL is $256 million. Then it jumps to $282 million in 25. So as time goes on, keeping Wilson around, if he's mediocre or worse, becomes less expensive relative to the cap. The signing of Stidham still is something I don't think enough people around here have taken seriously enough. He's 26 years I old. He signed a two-year deal for $10 million, $5 million guaranteed, $1 million of salary guaranteed, not for this year, but for next. And what they said about him is not what you always say when you sign a backup quarterback. No, but at the same time, Sandy, I mean, I, I get it. I get it that if you're going into a rebuild and you need a bridge quarterback to just be okay, Jared Stidham has bounced around the league enough. He's not going to become a top 10 quarterback in this league. He's not. He's but not. Russell Wilson's never going to be a top 10 quarterback in this he, league he, either. He and not. my point is. But I just don't want to look at Stidham as some sort of panacea. If Stidham starts, it means the rebuild is on. My point is nobody. Well, I think it is. If Stidham starts, the rebuild is on in full. I think it is, whether they acknowledge it or not. And they may acknowledge it at midseason or after the season is over. But to me, total rebuild at CU, total rebuild here. You're starting from scratch. You want a bright side? And if anybody thinks that Russell Wilson is again going to be a top 10 quarterback, they're nuts. He'll be lucky to be in the upper half of the league, and I say lucky, very, very lucky. And that would reverse a lot of trends in the history of the NFL regarding quarterbacks. Most of them, the true Hall of Famers, the no-doubt-about-it Hall of Famers, can play well, and in a few special instances, even better in their mid to late 30s and perhaps on into their 40s, than they played in their late 20s or early 30s. But there are very few exceptions to the idea that around 33, 34, you start to lose it. Usually it happens a little more gradually. Last year, it was a sudden and steep decline for Wilson after maybe a little bit of erosion from midseason 2020 through the end of the 21 season in Seattle. And that's why Seattle wasn't disappointed about trading. I think the Broncos are, again, exercising a bit of self-delusion, which seems to be an organizational trait now, regardless of who's in charge, who's the head coach, if they believe they're a playoff team this year without extraordinarily unusual developments 
taking place. And the trick, of course, and is we've touched on some of those developments. Sell tickets. You need to say, you need to give your fans hope and say, sure, we got Sean Payton. He's won a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl. We're going to bounce back. We're going for the playoffs. But it doesn't mean your internal expectations have to meet, match your Fans external. have heard all this before, though. Mm-hmm. And they've heard it for six years. And it's been nonsense for six years, every year. And every year, fewer and fewer and fewer fans buy into it. Fewer and fewer fans. Do I think they're better than they would have been had they retained Nathaniel Hackett with Sean Payton? Yes. Do I think they're a playoff team? No. Do I think Wilson will ever again be a top-ten quarterback? No. No more than Stidham will ever be a top-ten quarterback. This is also your show. We want to get your opinion on that. 303-831-1340 is the call and text line. Uh, Assuming, Sandy, that they are closer to a rebuild than a Super Bowl, and I think that is a fair assumption. I have some numbers for you that could show Broncos fans how painful the rebuild could be, but also how quick it could be, too. I'll explain next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. All right, Broncos fans, I know the training camp doesn't start for a couple weeks, but let me uh, peer into the crystal ball and give you the bad news and the good news. Assuming that Russell Wilson does not get substantially better and the Broncos do start a rebuild under Sean Payton, which we both believe uh, is more likely to happen than being a Super Bowl contender. How bad could it get? Because we're talking about big dead money when you're talking about Russell Wilson. But here's the trick. I've put together the numbers here as best as as best as I can. And you talked about it, Sandy, that if they moved away from him after the season, they could split it out over two years. Well, that kind of extends the pain for two years, right? And Sean Payton probably, his age did not sign on for a lengthy rebuild. He'd like to flip this thing around as quickly as possible. Well, here's the thing. Going through the Broncos' salaries for 2024, assuming a rebuild is on, right? You're going to want to probably move away from other players besides Russell Wilson because what are you paying big money for to certain players that are veterans that aren't going to be able to help you or that their contract may end up being close to the end anyway, right? And there are a couple targets that make sense. So I'll go through it here. Russell Wilson, if you were to move on from him after this year, it's the dead cap pip of, of $85 million. That's monstrous. Double the all-time record. His cap hit for next year is 35.4. So in other words, the Broncos would find themselves 49.6 million underwater. That's not ideal. But you're starting, that's hard to build a rebuild. It is. But let's look at other players then that might not be part of the future, if that's the case. I think if they're moving on from Wilson, it may make sense to move on from a guy like Cortland Sutton, who is set to make 17.3 million in 2024. Cortland Sutton's buyout in dead money would be $7.6 million. In other words, saving $9.7 million. Garrett Bowles, who, is, who will be 32 after the season ends, mind you. Garrett Bowles is set to make $20 million in 2024, but has a dead cap hit of $4 million. That's a $16 million savings. That might happen anyway, no matter what Russell Wilson does. So my Garrett Bowles does. The well. Sutton. Situation. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to look at players that could happen. 
DJ Jones will be almost 30, and DJ Jones is a good player, but if you're looking for rebuilds, remember, he only has a contract through 2024, which you should have to sign him again. He's set for a $12.9 million cap hit, but it's a $2.9 million dead cap, so it's a $10 million cap savings. Then you look at, I think, one of the most obvious buyout candidates, and we said this the day he was signed. It was really a two-year deal. Randy Gregory, who has a $6 million dead cap hit following the season and makes 16.1 on the cap, it's a $10.1 million savings. Were you to move on from all five of those players, all of a sudden, the Broncos go from 49.6 underwater based on, you know, what their dead cap is compared to what they saved on the cap payment to only 3.8 million. That all of a sudden means you're going to have a bad 2024 because you really can't add a lot of talent necessarily, but you you can add decent talent. You're really only 3.8 million under. Now you have to replace Sutton, Bowles, Jones, and Gregory, but Bowles and Gregory, I think are, at this point, average or less than average players. Sutton, I think, is an average NFL wide receiver with the potential to be more. DJ Jones is a good player, but as you've repeatedly pointed out, he's a defensive tackle. He's only on the field for so many snaps. He's a nose. It's not unreasonable to make all those moves. And now, all of a sudden, you're only $3.8 million under the cap. Now, there's another, if you really want to cringe and, and get angry at me on a Friday, there's another option. You could free Justin Simmons who will be closing on at the age of 31 after the season, has been on one winning team, and it was the 9-7 Broncos in 2016. Justin Simmons is set in 2024 to make $18.3 million, but has a dead cap hip of 3.8. That's a $14.5 million savings on the cap. The only person that would be bigger is Bulls. You don't have to do that, right? Because what I've just described with the five players, if you wanted to move on, you'd be only $3.8 million of dead cap compared to what you saved off what you would pay. But if you were to also decide that we're starting this from scratch, more or less, and letting Sean Payton build the team up, and you decided to move on from Justin Simmons and maybe let him sign with a contender, now you go to a dead cap number of 109.3, which is comical. Nevertheless, you'd save 120 in cap. The Broncos, if they moved on from those five players and Simmons, would actually be ahead 10.7 million. Based on at least their, their 2024 expected payments and the dead cap. This could be, if this year doesn't ignite and shock everybody, the Broncos could basically strip this thing to the bolts in one year, find themselves with, a, with good draft picks in 2024 and the 2025 seasons, when they get all their picks back, by the way. Somebody else would be doing the drafting, at least from a general manager's point of view, though, if that's the case. That would be the case, and that's the problem. Would George Payton go for that? Does George Payton have a choice? Is this Sean Payton's show? Would Sean Payton want to build out a, a, a rebuild over 2024 I, and 2025? Short or would he rather of, just pull the bandaid off? And- short of a playoff season this year, George Payton is on thin ice. So the, the Broncos could, Sandy, I think, if they're aggressive, if this year is bad and they decide they need to rebuild, they are in a position where you'd have an awful 2024 season, most likely. Yeah. But then yeah. you're good to go well, for 2025. Yeah. I, no dead cap. But Tons you of made money. the point. Sean Payton doesn't want to go through two bad years. Is it first two? But years. he might have to go through three if you don't get aggressive with well, the cuts. Well, that's not the way he's going to look at it, I suspect. And you, you're right from a financial point of view, but Sean Payton cares a lot less about all that than George Payton might care about it or George uh, Payton's replacement might 
care about it. He has to do some winning. They ha- it won't be hard to beat 5-12 and 12 in 2023. It will be hard to make the playoffs. It won't be hard to beat 5-12. and 12. However, if you slip back in 2024, you're going to lose even more fans who are saying this, this is just another guy, first two years, no real progress. What if you actually, the Broncos One actually step forward, changed two something steps that back. they do, Sandy, and actually said, we tried the Russell Wilson thing. It didn't work. We're going to have to, to have, we're going to have to rebuild 2024. We're warning the Broncos. We're warning Broncos fans. It's going to be a They'll rough year. We need patience. You can't do that in the NFL anymore. There was a time when you could, and I grew up with two teams who tried to do it. The Giants and the Jets in the 1970s who tried to say, Hey, we've got a five-year plan here. You, if you're patient enough, we'll see the fruits of our labor and five-year plans turned into basically decade long disasters between around Oh, 72 when the giants traded Tarkenton to 81, I think when the giants got back into playoffs and the jets were beginning to recover and become a pretty good team in the early eighties in the American football conference East. Um, that doesn't wash anymore. You can't sell fans who haven't seen a playoff team in the last seven years, and we're talking about maybe an eighth year this year and a ninth year in 2024. You can't sell fans at the end of this year or sometime during 2024 accepting the idea that, well, we're, we're, we're really serious about a total rebuild now, and you, you can wait another couple, three years. There's no team in the NFL, even the Detroit Lions get heat when they go long stretches without being in the playoffs. And the Lions are showing some signs. Now, maybe they're they're false signs. But the thing about the Broncos is you can't identify over the last, and this is especially important to fans, over the last six years, you can't identify a single aha moment where you could reasonably form a consensus opinion around town that the Broncos had turned it and some bad luck set them back. The closest they came was in 21 with Bridgewater when they were seven and six after 13 games, God knows how, but they were, and they were playing Cincinnati. The eventual, AFC representative in the Super Bowl, but also a team that at that point was seven and six with a quarterback who was just coming back off knee surgery from the previous year. And that was considered kind of sort of a toss up game. Cincinnati may have been slightly favored, but the game was played here. And the Broncos lost that game and haven't been heard from since. They, they've been awful. Had to five and 12, however many they lost at the end of 2021, right? And you, you, you get. Kind of what we have up in Boulder over the mm-hmm. over a similar stretch. That's fair, yeah. It, it, CU and the Broncos are not that far apart. Now, Broncos didn't go throughout last year with just one win. They got five, but five and 12 was treated about as one, one and 11 was treated up in Boulder. There's no doubt you had to make a change. CU made its coaching change a lot sooner than the Broncos made their coaching change toward the end of the year. I just think what what you communicate to the fan base 
when you hire Sean Payton, is it, you communicate that this guy is as good a turnaround artist as we could find out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe that exists anywhere, even even yeah. among those currently employed by National Football League teams. I, I don't think fans are going to say, well, wait a minute. You told us when you hired him, this is this is a guy who turns things around. Look at his record in New Orleans. Why is it taking him two years, maybe longer? And that, then we're asked to wait a little bit longer while we rebuild. Listen, uh, so, some of those moves have to be made. I mean, you, you, you've gone as far as you can go with some of those guys already. I think with Sutton and Bowles, and Gregory. you're about at the end of your rope. And Gregory only has one year left on his deal. And last year, same kind of deal that has plagued him throughout his career. He got hurt. He only played in about a third of the games. And he was fine before he got hurt. After he, Even at the end of the year when he came back, he wasn't any good. So fans aren't going to miss most of those guys. And if Wilson stinks it out again this year, fans won't miss Wilson and they won't care how many dollars it costs or right. whether you I think that's true. get hit for one year or can spread it out over two. They won't care. And my point about Stidham earlier is not that Stidham is any kind of savior, but for a full rebuild, he'd be a guy who could bridge the gap until you draft and develop a new quarterback that's going to take time too mm-hmm. unless you're you know fortunate enough to land one of those guys that uh, the, the trevor lawrence of the world that come in almost yeah. fully formed and even that can't be, can be messed up i don't know if there aren't too many of, there aren't too many of, of those them. who will be coming out in the next year or two i mean uh, in the next year there is caleb williams but trevor he's not going to be lawrence, available to the well no i wouldn't think so and i don't think he's as good as trevor lawrence no, or uh, bryce young will turn out to be could be wrong but Listen, I was reading a piece today uh, that New York Jets finally came to an agreement with Quinn Williams, 25-year-old defensive tackle. Four years, $96 million. $66 million guaranteed. I think that's a pretty good deal for the Jets, that they only had to guarantee 66 out of the $96 million in the deal. Quinn Williams had a 13.4% pressure rate last year, which was number one among interior defensive linemen in the NFL. The Jets, believe it or not, up until the signing of Williams, were the only team that didn't re-sign any first-round picks from 2012 to 2018 to a second contract. Muhammad Wilkerson was the last one in 2011. That's the Jets mm-hmm. who have hopes for this year. Right. You talk yeah. about year after year of bad drafting mm-hmm. where where you don't have one single first round pick worthy of re signing to a second contract until Quentin Williams signed today. The point you're making, I think, is pretty sound. It's it's hard, especially a fan base that is conditioned to win as much as the Broncos are, because up until this streak uh, there are, quite frankly, a significant amount of Denver Bronco fans that were le- legitimately, it's not an exaggeration, literally not alive the last time the Broncos have been this bad for this long. Well, that would have been the AFL days. Yeah. So they, these are people. I mean, I'm, I'm who one are of them. Closer, I'm in it. Well, I'm in that group. They're people who are older Danny than Bain's you. Danny Bain's in that group. Yes. And closer to my age. 
who remember how bad the Broncos were after they had, I think, a 7-7 seven and seven season in, what, the second or third year? Mm-hmm. Sean, I think it was 62. But from 63 to 69, they had seven straight losing seasons. They're working, if they don't have a winning season this year, on seven straight losing seasons again. But this is the Broncos of the American Football League. Right now. Now, is Sean Payton a better coach than any AFL coach the Broncos ever had? Yeah, he is. But let's remember, Lou Saban won two championships in the AFL. Lou Saban got a lot of power here, probably more power than he should have had as coach and general manager. But Lou Saban was a world championship coach in the AFL, and I'll tell you what, His 64 Buffalo Bills teams, I think, would have beaten the Cleveland Browns, the NFL champions that year, had they played, had the Super Bowl existed back then. And I don't know about 65 against Green Bay, because that's Lombardi, and that's that's a a different category altogether. Maybe they wouldn't have beaten the 65 Packers in a Super Bowl, but I think they would have beaten the 64 Browns. Lou Saban wasn't a chump, that being my point. People say, oh, they didn't have any good coaches in the AFL. Lou Saban was a two-time AFL championship coach in in two years in the mid-60s when the AFL was probably as close to the NFL as it ever was before the Chiefs beat the Vikings in 69. Broncos will be trying to turn things around a lot faster than that. You'd like to see a, at least not another half century pass by for sure. How they get to it, we don't really know. The call and text line 303-831-1340. The Avalanche made a uh, trade early in the offseason. Turned out to be a fortuitous one, even if the return wasn't all that high. I'll explain next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. For the Colorado Avalanche, the offseason has been uh, pretty eventful. We talked about it not too long ago that uh, most people seem to believe it's been a pretty effective offseason. Matter of fact, the folks at ESPN loved what the Avalanche did, given their limited ability to maneuver because they obviously have Uh, some very high-paid, top-tier talent on the team. But one of the moves that they made was trading a free agent to be uh, Alex Galchenyuk. Now, Alex Galchenyuk really did not play uh, very much for the uh, Avalanche, and they went ahead and and moved uh, on from him. Galchenyuk then went to the uh, Arizona Coyotes and signed a deal uh, just about a little under two weeks ago. The Coyotes terminated his contract, and um, when they did so, there there were some questions about it, and then the, the, the news came out because the NFLPA wanted to know what was going on. Uh, the Coyotes said it was an off-ice situation, and they basically just terminated his deal. Well, it turns out that Galchenyuk was arrested Sunday out in Scottsdale in charges of private property hit and run, disorderly conduct, failure to obey, resisting arrest, threatening or intimidating. Uh, no injuries occurred, fortunately. But uh, yikes. And uh, obviously, I don't think there's a way to say the Avalanche knew that was coming by any stretch, and that's why they made the trade. But 
sometimes, I guess, you know, you get out while the getting is good. Hopefully, Galchenyuk, whose career has simply not taken off the way that they expected. Um, it was a, uh, it, it's a big drop. And when you look at it, they basically used the, the opportunity to get that, to get their second line center. They sent Galchenyuk to the Predators for Ryan Johansson. Right. You got Johansson for nothing. Essentially nothing anyway, even during the trade. Now you got him no, for a guy. I, that was probably, a salary dump. You got that, a guy that, that isn't going to be in the dump. league. Yeah. But that you was a salary dump to by Nashville. That's all that was. And they did the same thing by buying out Matt Duchesne. Uh, they they want to shed salary. Um, I think he's, I trust Barry Trotz, who, who we know is a great coach, uh, not only from his years in Nashville, but from the Stanley Cup he won. Good job with the Islanders, too. He's an excellent coach, and now he is an executive, the lead executive. Um, placing, uh, I believe, David Poyle, right, who retired. Correct. And that they'll be fine. But they, that was that was the salary dump, and good for the Avalanche and capitalizing on that. And that that makes the, the whole you, Joe Hansen deal basically no risk at all because they give up anything. And you know, if if there are times during the season when Ross Colton proves to be more effective, they put him up on the second line and listen, Johansson may not be as productive as he once was, but you don't all of a sudden turn from being one of the best face-off men in the league for a decade into a guy who can't win face-offs and the avalanche don't win face-offs. They were at 46.7% last year. So everything about that deal, I think favors, the avalanche certainly puts them at no risk whatsoever. And through the draft, they began the process of replenishing their farm system. Uh, just as I think the Nuggets needed to uh, shed uh, Jeff Green, not because he was ineffective this year or not useful in any way. That wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be true. But because they have to get younger and less expensive, and it would have been too expensive to bring back Jeff Green, considering the role he now plays. So I, I think both teams throughout the offseason, big picture, have made sensible decisions, both for their uh, short-term future and the long-term. Obviously, this, these are going to be, when, you're looking, when you look at this, we've been talking about the Broncos, and you look at the abs, I mean, the, the the difference in these two teams couldn't be more stark. I mean, the Avs obviously have won a title. They're, they're, they're trying to come back and get back to that window. But for the Broncos, they're trying to get back to their championship window after such a longer span of time. You, you start to see the challenges. And the NFL salary cap and the NHL salary cap are, are certainly different. But you can see how when you make a mistake on the wrong player, how quickly it can set you back. Because it, 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 while it's not entirely a house of cards, I suppose, Sandy, the stability really takes a hit. Because one of the things you've correctly, I think, praised, and you did a great job explaining it a couple of weeks ago, is that when you talk about uh, the Denver Nuggets in particular, but to the Colorado Avalanche as well, their players are paid in relation to each other what they relatively deserve based yeah, the, on their the production. Two things you look at. When you look at how and, and ownership there has done a great job with the Avs and the Nuggets in that and, regard. And yes, and it, the 
the point is that there are two things you look at. One is the point you made about how they're paid in relation to other players. And the other aspect of it is how they are paid in relation to their production. I would look at the avalanche right now, and then remember, the NHL is a hard cap sport. You can't go one right. penny over there. Right. There's not a lot of maneuvering you can do. It's definitely not like the NBA. They're different. Completely different from the NBA. But that's more, to my mind, the credit for the ownership. They're handling both those different styles, right. but ending with, ending with similar yeah. results. But the, the only player, I think, on either team, you might say, is, is overpaid based on his production compared to other players on the team, production compared to what you'd expect from a max player, in this case, Michael Porter Jr. I, I can't identify anybody else on either the Avs or the Nuggets who you look at and say, in relation to the other players, in relation to what he produces, He's paid way too much, way too much. And even with Porter, there's signs that the Nuggets obviously been able to compensate for for that. And the other two guys on max deals just pulled off an NBA postseason in which they were about as good as any tandem has ever been in the NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. And by yes. ever, I mean in the history of the National Basketball Association, it would be hard to find a tandem that was more consistently productive, more impactful than Jokic and Murray. And as partial evidence, Murray won an SB for comeback player mm-hmm. of the year in all the sports. All the sports, right. And Jokic was the player of the year. And, and when you look at the boy, I mean, it, it is it is impressive to put that together. And and when and, and I really got to hand it to that that Kroenke organization because when you're talking about Joe Sakic and Chris McFarland with the Abs, when you're talking about Calvin Booth taking over for Tim Connolly for the Nuggets. Uh, handling those two different sports in those very different situations, very different caps, but having a very clear and definable way that the overarching organization handles things. It has clearly, remember the Rams have won a title. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about uh, multiple titles across that organization of late in the last three years. The Rams, then the Avs, then the Nuggets. Now, the Rams rolled the dice. And traded and for everybody. And, right. and it paid off. And trade a bunch of draft picks. But they, they were the able to do it. And now, of course, they're in the full rebuild. They got the win they needed. They've cemented their spot in the L.A. marketplace. That was all a very different objective. But, boy, how you do it in the NFL is simultaneously easier and harder than those two leagues yeah, to turn things I, around. I, I almost think it's harder. I, I really do. And the trick is you, know, you can the, do what the Rams did. You can roll the dice, but what if it didn't work? But but if it didn't work, <laughs> you, you're you're a mess. Now, I, the Rams had the right coach, too. Uh, certainly. They uh, certainly had the right coach. And and they still have the right coach. I mean, it, 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 there were 
significant indications after they won the Super Bowl that maybe he was a little burned out and wanted to step aside. And I'm sure Sean McVay did not enjoy last year, except on Christmas Day. He had a very Merry Christmas at the hands of the Broncos. (laughs) Yes. But other than that, it was kind of a disastrous year. But the the sense is that they will bounce back this year. And, of course, two of the key players they brought in were Jalen Ramsey and Vaughn Miller, who are obviously now playing elsewhere. Yep, both of them. Both Both, on the AFC East. East. Exactly. Going to be theory going head to head. We'll talk more about the Denver Broncos because our lead writer for Mile High Sports and the uh, host of uh, the Locked Broncos podcast, there's many local things going on at MHS. Cody Rourke will join us in studio. We'll do that next.